your language, you bud. We're on the air. It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson's Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Mighty nice of you to introduce us. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour of a Saturday. And we're always happy because it's Saturday that we get to work with tall guy Nathan Miller. How are you, Nathan? Good morning, Gary. It's Suzanne doing well. And it's nice to see that everybody's on deck for both a show and a sporting world because it is time to play ball. Play ball? I mean, that's baseball. Aren't you watching the basketball tournament? Well, we can, we can play ball there, too. I mean, they got a ball. They throw it around. Okay. <laughs> on some Van Halen jump networks. going on, too. I, I would think you're watching the basketball games, and they're calling you shorty. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I mean, some of those, I mean, I might be tall, but, you know, those guys on the basketball court, they're even taller than me, which I didn't yeah, think I was possible. What is your height again? Six foot six. Six foot six. There, I, I would see you as a forward. Six foot six would be pretty tall for a guard. I'm sure there are a few around. Six six would make you very good forward. Bulk up and you're a power forward. All this neat stuff going on this time of year. And it's interesting too, Nathan, because people that wouldn't bother spending 10 minutes during the regular season watching a basketball game of any kind are glued to the set for two weeks, essentially, during tournament time. It's fascinating, and it also applies to me. That's pretty much my interest level, but it is fun. And when I did play basketball in a couple of years in elementary school, I was the center, but nowadays these... uh cases you got to be probably seven feet tall to be a center by today's yes, standards definitely Shorty. helps it's seven short, short seven guy nathan yeah seven <laughs> feet and above well that's I'll pretty just be a little pit squeak on the bat on the basketball court yes you would be we wish the best of luck to the seattle mariners never been to a world series i'd love to see that happen cinderella fashion who knows but it would be a great thing for the city and the fans in seattle and environs so here we are. That wraps up our sports segment. We've got to get down to mental health issues. Yes, yes. Yesterday we had we talked about modern positivity, and now we're going to have Dr. Bell with us for the second time. Lovely lady, thoroughgoing professional, very cerebral, and yet she brings it down to a level where people can incorporate and internalize the wisdom that she has to offer, like she's going to do for the balance of this hour, Suzanne. Dr. Bell was born and raised in Southern California, has resided in Brooklyn, New York, and currently lives in Las Vegas, where she has a successful private practice. She became passionate about helping people heal from divorce and find love again after going through the pain of divorce herself. She uses her own experiences of divorce and successful remarriage to help others heal and have the healthy and successful love relationships they want. This is the second time we have had uh, uh, Dr. Bell with us. The first time was last July. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell, Dr. Bell. Thank you for having me. So excited to be back. Is there anything else going on in your life about which you might be excited? I am getting remarried in three weeks. Super excited. I have an amazing partner. And thanks to becoming a therapist and learning uh, the model of counseling that I do, emotionally focused therapy, 
I finally have a very healthy, wonderful partner, and it's great to feel like my love life has been redeemed, which is amazing. So I, I want everyone out there who feels like hopeless after getting a divorce, that it's the final chapter, that it is not, and you can successfully have love again and remarry and have it last and don't give up hope. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about how to do that today. When you were on with us last July and really impressed us on air, Dr. Bell, we were talking a lot about emotions in that first interview. And what was interesting was that at the very end of the hour in, in the last five minutes or so, we started talking about communications. And so Gary and I said, we need to bring her back and talk about communications. So when we advertised the show, we said, say what you mean and mean what you say. And there's all kinds of places to go with talking about relationships and conversations, including the wonderful ones that lead to marriage and maybe some uncomfortable ones and how we do that too. So that's why we thought we would have you come back and talk about talking today. How's that? I'm super excited. And what's amazing is, so A, two things is most couples or, or people in general, when they talk about, oh, what's important to make a, a relationship work, it's communication, except that kind of gets tossed around like a cliche rather than a healthy understanding or, or a practice of good communication. I can't tell you how many people think they're good communicators that don't say what they mean and don't mean what they say. And they, they, when they learn more through our work together, it's, it's a little bit of a rude awakening. They're like, oh, and I thought I was a good communicator. Well, I mean, you can be, but, um, always better though. Always, yes, better. always, always room for improvement. And, and I, myself, am always, you know, actively working on that, but, um, What's also important, I forgot the other thing I was going to say, is <laughs> something about... Well, you just jump in anytime. One of the uh, things when Gary and I were first getting together, you work on your communications. They're not always great when you first start out and you need to learn each other's communication styles. We had... Um, well, you need plenty. to know your own style for... And so your own your style. We, when we had some skirmishes early on, um, and, and some hurt feelings and some anger. We got a, uh, we got a, a refrigerator magnet that says a hug can turn a grizzly, grizzly into a teddy bear. <laughs> and, and, I, and we looked at each other one time and we said, when we are the most angry is the point at which we need the most love. And, and so, you know, at that ironically, point, it's the time we push it away the most. Exactly, exactly. And we recognize that we were doing that. And so if one person is angry, the other person has to hug them. <laughs> that, that can definitely help. I mean, really, the important signal is when somebody's angry, the signal that you're sending with a hug is that I see you in and your anger, your distress matters to me. That's what people are actually looking for the most. Now, you don't want to get in the habit where you're just hugging instead of dealing with the right, problem, right. because that's that's not going to fly. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think a lot of people don't really know their own communication style. And 
For for various reasons, I think people are afraid to ask themselves honest questions and face realities about themselves that that again don't have to be a permanent thing. You know, if you're willing to look inside and face what's there and you want something to be different and better, you have no greater power control than over yourself to work on those things. So face it down, deal with it, make it the way you want it to be. And then, you know, you'll be the master of your own destiny. You know? I think that honest communication is the number one hardest thing to be honest yes. with somebody. And I don't always mean honest about the other guy, like mm-hmm. you need to change this behavior you have, <laughs> yes. but to be honest about where you're coming from yourself yes. Yes. and to say something that might be really, really uncomfortable to say. That's, I think, where most people don't say what they mean and mean what they say is because yep. it's so vulnerable. When you put yourself out there with no buffers, no no way to misinterpret that, then the response that you get, you know, there's there's no way to deny whether or not if I get rejected or it's not well received. But also, I think, so there's like two things right here. Either couples will say something that's hurtful no matter the cost to their partner, when it really doesn't, it's not real honesty. There's a difference between saying, you know, what, what you just said hurt me and you're an a-hole, you know, well, calling them an a-hole is honest. Um, yeah, it's not constructive though. And whether or not they're actually an a-hole is subjective. It's the real truth is I'm really hurt by what was just said. But then the other part is that people avoid saying what's real because they don't want to hurt their partner. And And it's not that what they're saying or doing has the intention to hurt their partner. If they're saying this hurt me and my partner is hurt, that I was hurt, that hurt is important. That's what's supposed to happen in healthy relationships. We are supposed to feel bad when we hurt someone we care about. And if we don't ever, if we're never allowed to experience that hurt, then our caregiving system can never turn on and we can never A, fully understand your pain, which is exactly what you need to heal in the conversation, in the relationship. But then we also don't get to know what kinds of things we're doing that might be stepping on our partner's toes. And we don't ever get to feel the impact of our words and our actions on other people, which is very dangerous to relationships and society in general. Yeah. Dr. Bell, when let's say you're doing couples therapy and they come into your office and they sit down and after the usual pleasantries are exchanged and you get down to business, how many minutes, and this is just, you know, taking a stab at it, how many minutes into a session where communication between these partners in a relationship is clearly at issue. How long does it take for you to diagnostically size up what's going on and say, okay, here's where I see us right now. I think it really depends. I mean, it's such a, such a nuanced factor. I mean, I know when couples, the number one thing people come in for is, we have problems with communication, <laughs> like no kidding, because nobody ever actually teaches us what makes up good communication. And nobody really teaches us. It sounds good in theory to say what you mean and mean what you say, but to actually practice that is quite vulnerable. And, and it takes a lot of courage and strength to do it as well, to just honestly and authentically be you, you know? And so when couples come in, 
you know, some couples are a lot easier to get to the fact of the matter. It really depends on how escalated they are. If they're super angry and there's, you know, a live wound in the room that just happened and emotions are really high and, and pain is really high. It, it may, I mean, I'll, I'll get it right away, but to be able to sort through it together, cause it's a collaborative process does no good. If I know what's going on, they need to know what's going on. So, but helping to meet someone in their pain, you know, when it's just so high and you've got two people to balance in the room when the other person is feeling hurt by the escalation that the other partner has because the other partner is so hurt, but they're not dealing with it in a constructive way. It can be a little bit of a, I love what Sue Johnson, she's the pioneer of emotionally focused therapy. And we did an interview a couple of years ago and she said, it's kind of like trying to pilot a helicopter through a tornado. <laughs> and it's so true. You know, I would think most people who come to see you are uh, past an easy resolve because they, they would think if they're having a, a, a little spat that that's, they'll, that'll clear up and they'll get over it in a day or two. But, but I would think that when you're talking to people, they've already gone a long way in having a great deal of problems resolving their issues. So I don't think you see people in the early spat stage, oh, do you? Actually, you'd be surprised. Really? Oh, okay. yeah. And I think it comes down to people's, um, how proactive they are about personal growth. I have a lot of people that come in that just are really into personal growth, growth and self-development. And so, you know, maybe they've just gotten married or they're getting ready to get married and they're noticing some patterns and they're like, let's nip this in the bud now before it becomes a serious problem down the road, which amen bless you couples because yeah. you make your, your life and your relationship so much easier, but we can also get down to the heart of the matter so much faster. Whereas couples that wait 30 years to start having these conversations, <laughs> you've got 30 years of pain wow. and doing things one way in communication that we have to work against and rebuild and reconstruct. So, mm. but I love it. I love it. You know, I love being in relationship. And I know neurologically, biologically, emotionally, socially, we are hardwired for connection. So if I can help people have a better go of it and, and have the, the wonderful relationships that they desire, that will be a blessing. And, and I love marriage. And you know what? I always tell my married couples, if, if you are really authentically committing to this for life, why not have it be the most amazing relationship that you're ever going to be in? Why not? And commit to that because I can think of a couple of other people, famous people who loved marriage. Mm -hmm. For example, Elizabeth Taylor and Mickey Rooney. <laughs> they were crazy about getting married. Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, you know what? Okay, so I'll reframe that in a positive way. <laughs> when it didn't work out, they didn't give up on love. You know, yeah. when it, when it first, yeah. you don't succeed, try, try again. And I appreciate that they didn't let it poison them towards love or relationship or marriage. And they kept trying again. And that's wonderful. But if we can teach people how to properly vet the relationships in the first place and be their healthiest, best self to start with, they're going to have a better chance at avoiding. Cause it is, it's still painful to go through divorce and breakups, you know, so if we can help people. Yes, yes. And if we can help people avoid that, that that would be fantastic. 
but yeah. Go ahead. Who was the uh, lady? I can see her face. Oh, geez. She was the uh, wicked dame on uh, Dynasty all those years ago. Joan Collins? Joan Collins. Joan, Joan Collins. Collins. Joan Collins once said in an interview, and it was impromptu, there was some, you know, event going on and just somebody thrust a microphone in her face and asked her what she thought about getting married. And she said, if you're not going to bring children into the world, there's really no need there. She believed in the strength of a relationship intrinsically because we have social structures. Sometimes they look strange in contemporary society, but they're there. And she was one who believed that the passion of the relationship, the reason why you met and why you continue to spend time with each other is the essential quality, unless you're going to bring children in, in which she, at which point she felt like you needed more structure. You ever um, deal with people like that? I'm not I knocking think... it because I've never been married. I've been involved with Suzanne Mitchell. We've been dating for 20 years <laughs> <laughs> and we have the same mailbox there. And, and yet, you know, people say, oh, you know, your wife or your husband. And we just kind of smile and let it go. But to me, it's about what sort of structure and how much of it does a couple really need? I, to be perfectly honest, the, the truth of it, the heart of hearts is I've never met anyone who was avoidant of getting married. However, for seemingly logical or good reasons, it's always out of fear, right? Is some, if we get married, it's going to result in some bad catastrophe, something bad's going to go down. And, and if we just don't get married and, you know, we, we act like we're married and treat it just like marriage and, you know, why do we have to call it marriage? Well, if it's, if you're doing everything the same, then what's the big deal in getting married? I mean, if you love someone and you're invested in spending your entire life with them, why wouldn't you want them to have the full legal protection under the law to be next to you at, at the end of your days in the hospital room? You know, what are you really avoiding by not calling it marriage or not signing that document? It's just a piece of paper. Yeah, so it's a $100 bill, but it carries a lot of meaning and a lot of weight. So, and whether or not you officially sign that paperwork or not, if you break up, it's still going to hurt and it's not going to hurt less. And if you're claiming financial reasons, guess what? There's called a, th a thing called a prenuptial agreement. So, you know, but whether or not you're married or not, you know, as you mentioned, it requires maintenance. And this is a mm -hmm. huge, huge discrepancy in our society. So you have, you know, the, the baby boomer generation who chose relationships similarly to the way they chose jobs more out of uh, fiscal responsibility, economic survival, and they didn't really have the luxury of questioning whether or not they enjoyed it. They just stayed because they needed to survive. And then the children of those saw that a lot of their parents were in unhappy marriages. So they like swung the complete opposite way. Now you have millennials and, and the baby boomer generation also, they're just their social mechanisms and, and their values towards money and things you know, you, you held on to things, you worked at it, you, things weren't easily replaceable because you didn't have a lot of surplus. And now even to be poor in America, we're richer than a lot of other countries. So you have the millennial generation where everything is replaceable, including people, and they don't, they don't believe that good relationships should take maintenance. It's like they want the Maserati of relationships, but to maintain it with the level of of maintenance you would put into driving a pinto and it, you're just not going to get that from that 
Wow, I like all that. That was very interesting. Bell, when you began your graduate studies, I'm curious to know, I'd like to hear a little bit of your personal narrative here. You went one way with your training because, oh, this fits. I'm going to go ahead and practice this. What were the elements of the choice you made such that you thought this should be the path I take through a course of professional practice? Something that works better than all the other things you tried, what would that be? For professions in general or the model of counseling that I Your use? profession, counseling. Um, well, you know, and I, I once met a, a, a lady who did astrology and she just messed around and did my chart and she said, you know, the problem you have is you have too many options. You're good at too many things, which is so true. And and I've met a lot of clients like this as well. It's like jack of all trades, but master of at none. And you just enjoy a lot of different things. You get good at a lot of different things, but you don't necessarily love them all equal the same, equally the same that you want to be masters of them. And that was certainly true. I was into journalism. I was into photography. I really wanted to be an actress. Really acting was my passion. I wanted to, I loved old Hollywood and the, mm. the old starlets. And I just longed yeah. to be a part of that world. And, you know, I was very creative as a child and loved to play make-believe. And to me, that's what acting is, is you get to play make-believe and have costumes and pretend that you're living in a, in another time zone or, or a different era it could be, you know, one, one project, you could be living in the Victorian era, and then you could be living in outer space in another one. I mean, how cool is that? But <laughs> seeing how I'm not, uh, I don't have a star on the Hollywood walk of fame. <laughs> I went, I went into psychology. Psychology was one of those things that I loved enough that I decided I could, because when you're getting a degree, you have to take a lot of other courses that have nothing to do with your degree or just are part of the generality of the field, but won't necessarily specifically in a deep way apply to you significantly when you get into your specialty. So it's one of those, what do I like enough to sit through and tolerate all the other courses that I'm not really so interested in so I could get the degree. And I actually took a introduction to psychotherapy course in my bachelor's degree and it really impacted me. And at the same time, I had um, gotten, uh, gone through a divorce and getting, which was something I never thought that I would go through uh, growing up in a Christian household. It really wasn't in our, our value set. So it was a huge crisis. And I went through counseling at the church and it was amazing. And the pastor was amazing. And I learned so much about myself from it. I learned a lot about how to make a marriage work, but I also learned a lot about how to make a marriage fail <laughs> through it, which is interesting. So, you know, my, the pastor at the church who did our counseling really left an impression on me. And I just love, love. I love being in relationship. I love being connected to others. And, you know, what I know about attachment is, is we're all kind of in the same boat and, but it's, it sucks to have it struggle, to have it tank, to have it not work out. So I thought if I could, you know, 
take, I think of this Ron White quote, he's like, when someone gives you a lemon, find someone else whose life gave him vodka and have a martini. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God you didn't end up with lemonade only. That would have been a disappointment, Val. Right, right. So I'm like, if, if this experience that was incredibly painful, if I could really help reach others and help them learn from the benefit of what I learned, the hindsight, you know, maybe I could help them avoid the pain that I had to go through and, and then I could turn it into something good. So that, that really impacted me. And you know, what's really funny. So I am definitely a spiritual person. I have a strong faith in God. And, and when I sit in the therapy room, sometimes some of these scenes that play out between my couples in session is so powerful and so incredible and so amazing. It's like you're watching the best Hallmark movie ever. And and you just find yourself getting sucked in. It's almost like I should have some popcorn because this is so good. Like you're watching a movie scene up. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've gotten exactly the, the thing that made me want to be an actress on the silver screen was to when you be sitting in your favorite movie and the actor actress would say something so profound that would just touch your heart, turn your world upside down, cause you to just really get to know yourself in a new way. It creates passion. It creates tears. It brings you back to life just to be able to touch somebody and have such a wonderful effect on them in that way. That was something I wanted to give to others. And I realized oh my gosh, I actually got that through therapy. Like I help people every day and, and I touch their lives in ways, you know, it's the feedback that they say is like, I'll never be the same in good ways because of you. And, you know, it's like, oh, I got exactly what I wanted. It just came in a different package. That's what I, that's what I heard. It didn't come through the acting. It did come mm-hmm. through the psychology. Mm-hmm. So it came the way it needed to. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like yes. it came through the realness. In fact, no acting involved, just all authenticity. You had your best role ever yourself. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go ahead and take our break. When we come back, we like to do the marketing piece, Dr. Bell. So how people can get in touch with you, your range of services. If you have any kind of classes, seminars, webinars, etc., we will give you the chance to pitch it. But for a couple of minutes, we're going to go away. Then we're going to come back. Dr. Bell is our guest. We're delighted to have her back. Delighted to have you with us as listeners, as partners in this wonderful exercise in radio. We are Manson Mitchell. You're tuned into the absolute epicenter of this kind of good stuff on the radio. AM 1150 in Seattle. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. 
Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Jeffrey Mark, the walking encyclopedia of all things Hollywood. The question, what is, what is the American passion for game shows? On Saturday, Mary Marshall, professional medium, also known as the Paranormal MD, makes her debut as we talk about her otherworldly research and discoveries. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Working hard to put a smile on your face. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Dr. Bell from Las Vegas. Dr. Bell, if people would like to connect with you, find out about your books, your podcast, any other information, please let our listeners know that. Absolutely. So you can visit my website, drbell.com, D-R-B-E-L-L-E.com. Uh, you can also find my podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, We Heart Therapy, or on YouTube, We Heart Therapy. And I have some series dedicated for therapists learning emotionally focused therapy. I have some other um, podcast series for the general public, introducing them to different kinds of therapy. So when they you know, are, are looking for a therapist and they see that a therapist uses this model or that model, what does that mean exactly? And I'm currently working on a new spinoff series that will be starting to get released. Uh, I have one or two episodes already, and I'm going to keep releasing more throughout the year um, around sexuality and sexual intimacy in uh, relationships. So, yeah. Excellent. DrBell.com is probably the best place to get all of that information. So, Dr. Bell, take us where you would like to go next, because it sounds like there's a facet of your, of your career on which you are expressly interested at this time because of all the good it can do for people who seek to maintain healthy relationships. Absolutely. So, first and foremost, I want to give you guys a little takeaway for those of you who are sitting here thinking, okay, well, give me something that I could start working on now so that I can say what I mean and mean what I say. I mean, it sounds so simple, but you wouldn't be surprised how maybe you would be surprised how many people just don't do that. And one of the ways that you can practice yourself and find out if you are actually doing this is if you, A, maybe ask yourself, do I often feel misunderstood by other people or do I feel like they constantly misinterpret me? And if you say something, but then you have to contra or correct yourself with, what I meant to say is, and so that's how I teach people to say what you mean, mean what you say is at the first time, really have, have run it through your head first, say it in your head. And then if you have to say again, what I meant to say, then say that instead, what I meant to say 
is the thing you should say first and foremost. And you don't need to buffer it or, you know, dwindle it down or shield it in any way for other people. If you feel hurt by something someone says, just say, I feel hurt by that. If you mean, hey, I really don't like cheese on my burrito, then just say it. You don't have to please anybody. You don't have to hold it in by not saying anything. If you feel like you're letting somebody down or disappointing them, just say that. I feel like I'm letting you down or disappointing you. What can I do? If you mean, if you see your partner struggling and what you mean to say is I see you and you're not alone, say that. (laughs) Don't say, oh, I get it. Say what you mean. And when you're just interacting with people, again, just, just be you and say, this is me, honestly, openly, authentically. You don't got to hide it. Just, just be you and feel comfortable doing that. And that leads me to ask you about two words. I call them buzzwords. Other people might consider them words to live by. And if they make that work good for them, they wouldn't need someone like you. But the majority of people do. <laughs> At some point, they're going to need someone like a Dr. Bell. And that is when we misapply and perhaps misunderstand a couple of words that have entered the lexicon in recent decades. One is transparency, where I just go, (laughs) and the other one is authenticity. And that just merely gives me a shudder. Why do I talk that way? Transparency seems to be the word used, and it seems to be the perfect word for some people who will go behind closed doors, they will strategize, they'll come up with a good way of getting over on everybody to get what they need, and the other guy's needs fed, doesn't matter that much, just enough perhaps to keep an agreement enforceable. And then they'll step out and and they'll say, we believe in transparency, we believe in clear communications, and what I find by scrutinizing just a little bit, usually that's all it takes, This transparency of which they speak and which they tout means you spill your guts and then I'll know how to manipulate you with great expertise. And then I will call it a win-win and tell the world that I've been transparent. Don't be a phony. If if transparency is a one-way street, don't be surprised if you can't make your way back into the traffic of life. Well, and that just sounds like a lot to do with politics where they will politicians will agree to whatever people want to get into office and then do something completely different which just really sucks if if you have no intention of honoring your word just don't even go there but again it's it's become so much more machiavellian these days you know power at any price um but you'd be surprised how much this actually shows up in regular relationships where people say, I believe in honest and, and transparent communication, yet when they have an internal process of trying to make a decision or think about something, they don't share their internal process with their partner. They kind of keep it silent and they expect somehow that their partner will know exactly what their intention or their motivation or where their heart was. And yet that whole process was completely invisible to their partner. Cause obviously it's like, that was in your head. I can't jump into your body and know what you're thinking in your brain. I rely on you to externally communicate that. And you just be surprised how difficult that is for people. And again, I think it just comes down to vulnerability because if I put myself out there, then there's always a possibility that I could get shot down. I could get criticized. I could get rejected. And that would feel really terrible. But look, 
the risks but are the same for everybody. And it's not know, fatal though. You know, right, it's not Pe- people it's think not. it's fatal. If I'm vulnerable and you don't mm-hmm. like who I really am, I'm going to die. Well, and, and there's and a reason have for that. that sense about that. And you know, right. it's not true, but it feels that way. And there's a reason for that's because attachment is wired through our survival instincts. So yes. And, and they've actually done studies where your body, your nervous system physiologically encodes the pain of rejection exactly the same way in your brain as being stabbed. That's how much it hurts. Wow. So disconnection really does hurt, but yeah. people, you just got to be brave because if you don't communicate, things are just going to get worse. Avoiding it is not going to make it better. It's just going to prolong the pain. And if you can learn to really take some risks and just put yourself out there and say, Hey, even if you just say, Hey, this is kind of scary for me to have this conversation. You know, if, if you could just reassure me that I won't be judged as I share what I need to share, you know, that's again, another way of being fully transparent in order for me to have this conversation, I need to feel safe. And that would include not being judged right here. You know, just share the fear of having the conversation, which can open the door to having a safe conversation, but people don't even do that. Well, you know, that's a good takeaway too, Dr. Bell, to, to, um, you know, a tip, a, a technique, something that actually works to begin to move the needle a little bit off the zero line. And, um, and we've heard before, and, and I said it a little bit earlier, you know, being honest and being truthful isn't like being truthful about the other guy's faults and judging the other guy. Being truthful is being truthful about yourself. This yes. is where I'm coming from. Yes. And, and, you know, you I need, reacted this way because yes, of this. Yes. You need that jumping off point, especially when you feel very stuck in your communications. And I think that happens a lot with people. It gets uncomfortable and it's that and vulnerability buffer, that makes, yes. yeah, that makes they us buffer their vulnerability. And that's why right. it, it's that discomfort. And yep. Like I said, you just have to take risks. Everybody's taking a risk. And if you don't risk, you're never going to get reward either. And that's Mm -hmm. just all of life, whether it's in a business conversation with your boss or, you know, some way that you're trying to expand your business and pioneer new paths, or if it's with, you know, your best friend or a difficult conversation with your, with your mom or your dad or one of your children this a romantic partner. Maybe it's your doctor when you're saying, Hey, you know what? I'm really not comfortable with that treatment. I'd like to choose something else, you know, being able to speak up and advocate for yourself, not in a hurtful way, but in an honest way where you're really owning your own feelings, trusting that they are worth speaking up for and that others care about you. And also if you're someone who tends to be very critical, you also have to be able to examine, am I a safe person for people to have conversation with just because I think I'm a safe person or I want to see myself as a safe person doesn't mean I'm actually safe. If I tend to offer people unsolicited advice when they come to me, because a lot of times people aren't asking you to solve their problems. They just want to feel connected. Commiseration is the act of having someone really have empathy and emotional understanding for where they're at connecting and letting them know emotionally they're not alone. And the science is clear on this better together. But, you know, if you tend to also every time you open your mouth and you give feedback to your partner, it's critical and you only give negative feedback. 
you may not be a safe person. If you blow up every time your partner shares something, even if they're sharing it in a very nice way and you're taking it as hostility or they're criticizing me when they're just saying, hey, you know, you promised me that you were going to run this errand for me and I noticed that you didn't do that. You know, that's not necessarily being critical. You know, there's got to be a line where you can take feedback and not experience it as criticism, but you also... If you're the partner who tends to be critical and look, hey, I grew up with a parent who was very critical. I learned to pick out the problem first before I pick out the good things. And through therapy, I had to learn to give through being a therapist and my own therapy and becoming a supervisor of other therapists. I've had to learn just some really good habits is to really be with people, validate them. Don't see the worst thing first. Don't pick out the thing they did wrong because people generally already feel pretty self-conscious and bad about themselves. You don't need to point it out. It's like rubbing their nose in their, in their dew, and nobody wants to have that. You know? yeah. yeah. They're smart enough to figure it out. So, you know, really around communication, be kind. I think I, it feels like society in general has become so disconnected from each other that we just don't even generally respect one another. We don't feel like we should have to respect somebody else, but they should respect us. So we don't treat other people, the guy who's cutting us off and we're flipping him the bird and yelling profanity at him. You know, the, the lady ahead of us in line at the grocery store, who's just taking too long or, or the cashier who's just struggling, who's new on the job. You know, we tend to just be so quick to judge and put others down, yet we don't want to be treated that way. So really just remember that we are all human beings with hearts. And I get if someone's hurting and they're like super reactive and they seem hostile and they're closer towards rage, that is not a sign that they are uncaring. It's actually a sign of someone being highly wounded and highly caring. Remember, anger is an emotion too. But here's some, even some basic fundamentals of communication. When you're thinking about communicating something is A, does what I'm about to say absolutely need to be said? Is there something, a problem that I'm trying to solve or that needs to be solved? And my communication is to enlist someone else's help and support to solve that problem. Or is it just I'm giving feedback or making a comment about something? And is what I'm about to say hurtful or harmful to the other person? Again, if it's, if it's harmful, is it going to benefit anything by saying it? Does it really need to be said? Is it going to change anything by saying this? Telling someone they're an a-hole is not going to make <laughs> them stop being an a-hole. I'm sorry. It's just not. And no, they don't need to know that. It's not like, oh, you said I was an a-hole. Thank you. My life is going to be different. I think I'll stop being an a-hole now. Said no one ever. <laughs> <laughs> but can you be an authentic a-hole? That's the big right. question. See, there's somebody, they should put that on money. If you're going to be an a-hole, be an authentic a-hole. Don't be one you know, of those phony a-holes. Be the real deal. That's so true. And that's what I come, that's what I come to believe about politics is if, at least if you're an honest a-hole, I would rather do that because I know what's coming and I can deal with it. Rather, it's like, I'd rather see the knife coming at my front than have an invisible one coming at my back. Same with me. What I've found is that people who do not 
know how to communicate clearly and with at least a modicum of respect when they're dealing with others. They're the ones that'll put the knife in your back for two reasons. One, they're a coward there. So they get at you that way. And the second is also cowardice that they don't want to be found out because if they were found out and they were confronted with the issues You'd have to work on those issues if you're going to be an authentic a-hole. So oh, instead, yes. people try to take advantage of others in a way. How many times have you seen this, Bell? People will take advantage of others, maybe stab them in the back and take pride in the fact that they could succeed surreptitiously at someone else's expense. I love that word surreptitiously. It's such a cool word. It's fun, but it really means like in disguise. So if you guys don't know what it is, if you hear these fun words, look them up in the dictionary. It's fun. It's how we grow. Don't Google them because the statistics show if we Google stuff, we forget it. <laughs> but you said that is so funny. I thought you must have, you must know this guy that I dated when I was in college. <laughs> he was a, he was an attorney and I found out that he was kind, in some ways, it felt like he was trying to con his stepfather into getting onto the family will. And he had said something like, oh, you know, I, I actually achieved it. They just added me. And I was like, oh, so you're like a con artist. And he was like, you're right. I am. And then guess what? He dumped me like right 20 minutes after the date ended yeah, I don't think I want to see you ever again. And we had only dated like three months, but you know, and it's true. I mean, I I wouldn't want to date a con con artist anyway, who, who's just, you know, going to behave in that way. But at the same time, that from dating and online dating experiences, I found that people who really just want to deceive do not want to be found out because they don't want to stop. Yep. You found him out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He couldn't, he couldn't pull that one on you. Very well, But those people I, aren't authentic. So again, folks, yeah. if you, all you can do is do the best that you can be as authentic as you can. You only have to gain. If you lose people from being authentic, that means they are not authentic. They are authentically not meant to be in your life. And why would you want someone who's going to play games with you who will not accept and love you? And it does not mean that it's you. If they don't want to accept and love you, that just means it's not a right fit. And you just got to move on till you find the right person where you can be yourself openly, honestly, authentically. You are lovable, I promise. And there is someone out there and I get it can feel like such torture to go through that period of dating and, you know, trying to build new friendships and, but, you know, you got to prune back the the dead leaves that aren't working for you, you know, do some weeding out of toxic friends that are playing games and just aren't there for you and be around people where you can be you out loud and honestly, and they love you for you. You know, I, I know one maybe two or three, but no more than two or three people who actually married their first loves. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they met in grammar school or high school and they knew that was it. And, and so they've been together, you know, for decades. In most cases, though, you don't necessarily marry the first person that you date. And, and so it, I, I think of the, uh, the dating time as a period, not only to find out about the other person, but to find out who you are 
in relationship. And then as you were talking about, you know, matching and mismatching, you know, if there is a lid for every pot, you know, is this going to be the right lid for my pot? Having the patience to wait for the, instead of trying to make yourself, if you know that you're a square peg in a round hole, don't try to reshape the peg to be a round peg in a round hole, just scrap scrap it and go and be a square peg in a square hole. There is someone out there. It's just, it's hard to be patient, but I, I love what you said too, because that comes back to the whole dating scene and online dating things and, and how people don't say what they mean and mean what they say, even on their dating profiles. I have so many single clients. I have men, I have women. I used to think, you know, from a woman's perspective, I know all the games that the men would play, but hearing it on the other side, I feel so bad for the men. I'm like, what's wrong with these women? Like they come to my office and complain. They can't find a good guy yet. The things that they're doing to these men, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. But, you know, I think when you're building an online profile, if you've got to lie about yourself to sell yourself out there, what, why, how are you ever honestly going to be loved because that's what everybody wants is to be loved authentically for who they are and if you don't love who you are enough to honestly represent yourself to represent your height your weight even your picture you don't need to put your 20 year old high school photo on you know and men you don't need to lie about your height I promise if you're really 5'7 but you're putting 5'10 we're going to figure that out pretty quickly when we meet you in person just have the courage to be you you got nothing to lose. And if we don't go for it, it just means it's not a fit. It's not personal. We don't even know you enough to have it be personal. Just Well, yeah. And lying about yourself is always feeling like, you know, I'm not really good enough the way I am. Yes. I want to be a few pounds less. I want to be a few inches taller, you know, whatever it might be means I'm really not okay with the way I am. If I need to lie about it. I liked what you said earlier about taking risks because these are not fatal moves to say, you know, I'm only five, seven, you know, or I weigh, you know, 200 pounds and, and, you know, let people deal with that. You know, you're either a fit or you're not fit, but you do take a risk. You do become vulnerable, but that is not fatal. If somebody doesn't like you fine, that's not meant to be. And there's actually strength in vulnerability. People look at vulnerability as weakness and it's actually quite the opposite. It is so incredibly hard and brave to be vulnerable. Courageous. Yeah. And when you put yourself out there honestly, then you know whatever happens to you and whoever finds you was meant to be there and not because you told a fib or you told a white lie or you manipulated any strings what, what happens in your life is genuinely meant to happen. And then you can like rest and let your guard down and feel safe with that. And I think a lot of people do struggle with not feeling good enough. And, you know, there's a lot of factors that lead to that. And social media is just one of, one of the biggest contribute contributors, but I think we've always struggled with this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I am curious to know, Belle, if you have the opportunity, or if you were to have the opportunity, dealing with people in this contemporary era of finding mates, 
and relating to them better. It is a brave new world, and those are brave who attempt it. I've never done it in my life. Now, I told you earlier that Suzanne and I have been together for 20 years, but I think I had the right strategy. It's worked out so far, and that is I figured if I'm going to meet someone who is a good potential mate, I would like to go and meet someone who is interested in the same things as me. So in my case, it was easy. I was heavily involved in a church at the time in Seattle. And Suzanne moves from Sarasota to Seattle. And before long, it seems we were fated to meet. And that was the start of our never-ending love story. It was on the basis of, I'm into this. She's into this. We can talk the same language. We've had similar experiences as well as those that are unique to us. And we can talk about that too. And we built this romance. We built the trust and the love on that basis. Personally, and I know it's, it's ubiquitous now, I grant you, but I can't see myself saying, I'm ready to meet the love of my life. First step, swipe left. And and to think that I'm going to have an equivalent experience, that is especially so when people, and it's the damn dumbest thing. If you're going to meet somebody at Starbucks for a coffee and have a nice little get together, get to know this person, don't try to present yourself the way you look 10 or 20 years ago. I mean, why? You know, you're going to bust the thing at the beginning because they feel like you misrepresented yourself from the get go and they don't need that in their life. Well, and this shows up another way too, is that there's a lot of people who are genuinely looking for love in a long-term partner and other people are just looking for a hookup. If you're just looking for a hookup, why do you try to pick off the people that are genuinely looking for a relationship? Accurately and honestly represent yourself. I am just here for a hookup. I'm not interested in a relationship. And don't ask the people who are showing on their profile, I want relationship. Don't ask them out because they want relationship. They don't want to hook up. Just put it out there. Be honest. Don't play games and, and make them think, oh, yeah, I want the, the house with the little white picket fence and, and two <laughs> kids and a dog. When you that All of that's BS, and you're just looking for sex. There's plenty of sites for that, too. <laughs> hey, I'm just looking for sex. I'm Dr. Hookup. That's, and you know, that. and I will say we're in our last minute here, but this idea is one of the great tricks folks that people pull when they want to play games is to say, I'm tired of the games. I'm looking for authentic love. And by the way, I'm transparent. <laughs> You're so Look out funny. For that one. You know, I have this idea. I think that we should come back on together and I should interview the two of you about your love story. Let everyone really hear about how you fell in love and how you've made it successful for all these years. That's going to be our book. I don't know that we're going to let you do that. Oh, we're going to need somebody to interview us about this book. It's always going to be written. Absolutely. Right? You're on, Dr. Bell. We'll, we'll turn the tables and you can interview us. Next time you're on, that's exactly what we'll do. That will be fun. So. I'll, I'll and I'm pretty the- sure there's a lot more to your story than we could possibly fit in an hour. So Probably. there will still be plenty of fodder for your book. All right. And we will have to pre-vet to make sure it can go on the radio. Dr. Bell, what a joy having you back with us again. We wish you the greatest happiness on your upcoming nuptials. God bless you. And we want to hear all about your honeymoon next time you join us. Thank you. Thank, Thank you to both of you for just your incredible kindness and having me on the show. And thank you so much to the viewers. And 
again, I just want you all to know, don't give up on love, whether you're married or you're not married and you're in a relationship, it's never too late to reclaim your love story and have the love life that you want. Excellent. Join us next Friday. Jupiter is rising coming up next. Have a great weekend, everyone.